0: Exodus chapter 7, you know, when you, when you talk about a certain subject in the Bible, a lot of things go on and you don't know why they do, but we're going to talk about what Satan wants in your life and what he, what he does, how he works today, and we're going to look at the story of Moses in Exodus chapter 7. And um, we talked about this last week, two weeks ago, about, have you ever felt overwhelmed? Let's go, I just don't know how I can get this done. I, I don't know how I can get over these problems. I don't know how I can get over this situation. And maybe the other, the other aspect, as we talked about, is being outnumbered. We go, man, there's just so many people against me. Maybe it's a family situation. Maybe it's a health situation. You just don't know how you're going to handle it. And sometimes you feel those two words. How many of you ever felt overwhelmed? I have. How many of you ever felt outnumbered? It's always wonderful when you're outnumbered. I remember growing up, um, I don't know why, but there were three boys that wanted to f- get a, start a fight. And apparently they saw me and they thought, okay, I'm going to fight him. And they were three years older than me. And I remember I ran into the barber shop when they were chasing me. And I didn't even need my haircut. But Jeff was my, I can still remember my barber's name. His name was Jeff. I said, Jeff, I need my haircut." And he flipped me around where they couldn't read my lips. I said, those three boys out there, have chased me I don't know what I've not I honestly I have no idea why they chase me but they're telling me they're gonna beat me up and I said I, I personally don't feel like today I want to be beat up and so I said what can you do he said well I'm gonna do something for you I'm gonna send them over to the post office and I'm gonna act like I'm cutting your hair and when they're clear I want you to take off he I said he said how far do you live from here I said I live about five or six blocks he said well, you better take off when they get in there. The post office was about a block the other direction. And so he went out there, unbeknownst to them, and said, Listen, you need to go over, and I need you to get, check this out for me. He knew one of the boys, and he knew the boy would listen. And he said, I need you all to go over there and check this out for me. So they went over to the post office. I remember what Jeff said. He said, Son, he said my first name. He said, You need to get out of here. And so I opened that door, and I took off running. You know, there's times to run, and there's times to fight, and this was not one of those days to fight. And I was definitely outnumbered, and they were definitely bigger than me. And I took off running, and and they were inside the post office, and they saw me take off. And I had about a block lead on them, and then they started chasing after me. And they were yelling at me the whole time. Well, Farmersburg, where I grew up at, had these trees, right, these big oak trees all the way lined down the, the, the street. And they were so close to the sidewalk, they'd make the sidewalk buckle. In fact, they set, we, set, we held a record for many years. I don't know if this is good to say, but they used to whitewash all of the, the trees. And we were in the Guinness Book of World Records, Farmersburg was, because they whitewashed those trees for over 100 years. Every time you go through the thing, the trees from about here down was, was painted white. I don't know why they did that. And, but I remember running and them yelling at me. And I don't know if you ever had the privilege of running and trying to get the keys out of your pocket at the same time. And watching those, uh, those unlevel aspects of the sidewalk, and I was scared to death I was going to fall down and life would be over as I knew it. And I remember grabbing my keys, and I only had like five keys, but they all looked alike. And I'm running, listening to them, and I'm trying to figure out which key it was. I finally found the key, and then I get to my house, and now they're about a third, they're about a third of a block away, and they are yelling my name. And now I'm putting that, have you ever tried to put your key in a door when you're trying to hurry? And I mean, I was just (laughs) going like this and no one was home. I finally got the key in, turned around, shut the door, and slammed the door, and I heard, and they hit the door right behind him. They said, we're going to stay out here till you leave. And I thought, I live here, I'm not leaving. (laughs) Amen. You know, you ever felt outnumbered? You're uh, overwhelmed? Well, in this story of Moses, I can tell you he felt that. So often we read his story and we think, oh, he just didn't feel any emotion. Everybody in the Bible had emotion. And here, let's look at this story. When you feel overwhelmed and outnumbered from our last message, you know what you need to do? Execute the plan. God has a plan for your life. And you just need to execute it. Just go for it and just don't worry about the circumstances. God is still in control. Look at Exodus chapter 7. And we're going to pick this up. I was going to start in 14, but we need to pick it up for sake of clarity in verse number 8. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, Show a miracle for you, then thou shalt say unto Aaron, Take thy rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. Now this is all God tells him. And he's like, okay, I can do that. God does not tell him that something else is going to happen right after he does that. So in verse number 10, And Moses and Aaron went unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Everything God said would happen. It just happened. He's executing the plan. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, now the magicians, they also did in like manner with this enchantment. Now, God never told Moses that they were going to throw down their rods, and they were going to turn into serpents. This was something that was an added bonus for Moses. And I'm so thankful that verse 12 is in there, and the last part of verse 12 is in there. Because Moses, if you're picturing this, all of a sudden they throw it down, and it's like, they're outnumbered. There's more serpents for theirs than ours, and I don't know what's going to happen, and It's probably he was overwhelmed with it, for they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. But thank God for one more part of this verse. And here's what it says. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. Aren't you thankful that God's still in control? Then it says this, and he hardened Pharaoh's heart and hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Now look at verse number 14. Here we go in verse number 14 through verse number 17. It says this, And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, he refuses to let his people, the people go. Get thee unto Pharaoh in the morning, lo, he goeth out of, into the water, and thou shalt stand by the river's brink against, against he come. And the rod which was turned to a serpent shall, take, shall thou take in thine hand. And thou shalt say unto him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me unto thee, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. And behold, here thereto thou wouldest not hear. Now, you gotta, I want you to remember this statement. He says to him, "He said, this is what he says to Pharaoh, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. That's going to come a, to a head in just a little bit. And I just want you to see that. And then verse number 17 says this, Thus saith the Lord, In this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite with a rod that is in mine hand upon the waters which are in the river, and thou shalt be turned to blood. You know, when you study this, this is the first plague that's about ready to hit them. And Moses is executing this. He also knows there's more than one plague because he says God's righteous judgments. He doesn't, I don't think he ever tells Moses there's going to be ten, but here's the first one coming on the scene. And he does something that's very interesting. He turns the water into blood. We all know it, but let's understand that, what, what's going on. You know what I like about God's plan? It's very thorough. He covers every angle. You know, that, that's why, how many of you like to play the game chess? All right, I don't like playing the game chess because there's many different angles that can come at you. And so I can only think two moves ahead. So that's why I stick with checkers, Amen. But chess, you have to think all these different ways, how they're going to do it. I played this one guy he was a head chess master, and and he beat me in like five moves. He said, that's the easiest move. And, and, you know, I I really didn't want to hear that. He was in control. He knew what he was doing, and and I remember, and then he asked me again, he goes, you want to play again? I thought, "Uh uh-uh, I ain't playing again. I played a win, praise God. We'll play full contact chess, but we're not going to do this. And as we look at this, we've got to see that God is very thorough. Look at verse number 19. Watch what He's going to do with the water. In case you haven't read this through, watch exactly what He turns. He says in verse number 19, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying to Aaron, Take thy rod and stretch out thine hand upon the waters of Egypt. Watch this, all the waters. It says, upon the streams, upon the rivers, upon their ponds, upon their pools of water. that they may become blood, and that there may be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and vessels of stone. So basically, what he has done, this is the thoroughness of God. God. God has got it all covered. He changes the water on the river. He changes the water in the streams. He changes the water in the ponds, the pools and the vessels of wood that they've stored water in, and the vessels of stone that they've stored water in. So every piece of water that the Egyptians have has been turned to blood. You say, why is that so important? Well, there's a couple reasons that's important. Because number one, water sustains life. I know it's hard to believe, but you can live a lot longer without food than you can water. How long does this happen? How long does this take place? How long does the water stay like that? A whole week. And so it even says that they're trying to dig to figure out where the water is to get some more water. God is a finisher. Go to verse number um, 18. And the fish that is in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians shall loathe to drink of the water of the river. Now which, water, which river are they talking about? What's the biggest river in Egypt? The Nile. The Nile is one of the largest rivers in the world. The Nile, and there's a a river down in Jacksonville, Florida called the St. John's. Anybody heard of it? What is distinct between those two rivers? Do you know what they do? They're the only rivers that do this. Let's see if anybody knows this. Anybody know? What is it? Josh knows. He doesn't know his sister's birthday, but he does know this. Okay, go, what is it? They flow south to north. So, and this is where all the stuff comes out, and, and this is what they need for nourishment. This is what they need for every aspect of their life. What I think is funny about this is while they do it, their are magicians, that, Pharaoh's mag- magicians come out, and they repeat the whole thing. They do the same thing. I said this two weeks ago. If I was Pharaoh, I'd say, stop doing that. And here they're, they're turning the water into blood. What's interesting is they repeat the, two, the first two plagues. But you know what, what Pharaoh's magicians cannot do? They cannot reverse them. That's where God can do this, but they can't. So they go out and they do this, and, and they're duplicated by the magicians. Look at verse number 22, you'll see that. The river stinks, the, the fish are dying, and it says in verse number 22, and the magicians of Egypt did so with the enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, neither did he hearken unto them as the Lord had said. So here he's, he, that he's went in and this goes on as you look in verse number 25. It goes on for a, for a week. And seven days were fulfilled. After that, the, the Lord had spit in the river. Can you imagine what it smelled like there? It would just smell like death. Um, I've only went on one fishing trip and it was a, A large fishing trip, I can't remember, I think we went 10 days. It was amazing, and I'd never been fishing before, and they took me fishing. But we were fishing on the bayous down in Louisiana, and we were fishing for redfish. How many of you know what redfish are? Very strong fish flavor, very good blackened fish. And I remember that year there was not very many redfish because there had been a hurricane come through, and it had killed a lot of fish. And they said the stench was terrible because of what the hurricane had done. But this is a lot worse than a hurricane that's happened. All the fish in all these ponds, these rivers, they can't live in this blood. And you say, do you literally think it was blood? Yes, because that's what God said. It wasn't painted red. It wasn't red dyed. It was blood. Something that you could not eat or you could not live in or survive in if you were a fish. And it says the fish died. So that's the first one. And you would think that maybe that would get Pharaoh's heart back in, but it's not. We all know that there's going to be ten, but the second one comes along. And, and as, we re, as you remember from two weeks ago, we said that he didn't tell Moses how many there were. He didn't tell Pharaoh how many there were. There was going to be ten. But here comes the second one. The second one to me is somewhat funny when you, when you think about it. Frogs. How many of you like frogs? The only thing I can remember in high school is dissecting a frog. I remember that little frog sitting up there and he had no choice about it. He was there. And um, I remember thinking, man, that's a big animal. i would never seen one like that. The frogs in my house were a lot smaller. They were more like toads. But let's look at this. And then I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to see this. again. Remember me telling you that God has everything covered? Watch what he does in this. And and the frogs come in and they're they're in chapter 8. And as we look at this, I want you to see this. It says in verse number one, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, going to Pharaoh, and saying to him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, and they may, that they may serve me. Thou refuse to let them go. Behold, I will smite all the borders with frogs. Why frogs? Why would they do frogs? Does anybody know why God would choose frogs over all these? I know why. The Egyptians worshiped frogs. They were a god to the Egyptians. You know, one thing that the Egyptians could not do to a frog? Kill it. They wouldn't be very good in Louisiana, amen. A lot of people like, how many of you ever had the privilege of eating frog legs? They're actually pretty good. You know, I've had them accidentally. Didn't know what they were, and I was like, this chicken is really thin. (laughs) And and I ate a couple of them, they said, all these frogs, all I could picture is these little frogs coming out of the hospital with a wheelchair. And so here, these frogs come in. He says, listen, I'm going to send these frogs. And it says, and the river shall bring forth frogs, look at the next word, abundantly. It's not like just one frog. If one frog came up, it'd be okay. There were so many frogs coupled with the fact that the fish had all died. It had smelled nasty. And now you got these frogs everywhere. Let me show you what God says. Keep reading in this. It says, The river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up into, and come into thine house and into thy bedchamber. How would you sleep with a with a frog in your bed? I remember our our daughter Meredith, the youngest one. We watched an old cartoon. It was the Robin Hood, it had a snake in it, and bless Meredith's heart, she had a little lisp when she was growing up, and we thought, I don't know, because she gets scared really easy. I don't know if I'm going to let her watch this because there's a snake in there, and he when he does this, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And so he gets up there and she, sure enough, she's scared to death of snakes now because this snake, and this snake's not even scary in that show. We put her to bed that night and she sits in there and she starts yelling. And I was like, Meredith, what is wrong? And she said, there's a snake in my bed, there's a snake in my bed. And I said, Meredith, there's not a snake in your bed. Just be quiet and go to sleep. And so, I think she was 18 when this happened. But anyway, um, and so I'm just seeing if you're paying attention. So she goes back to We walk in the other room, and all of a sudden she starts yelling again. We go back in there, and she says, Daddy, there's a snake in my bed. There's a snake in my bed. I said, there's no snake in your bed. Get ready to go. And the third time, and right before we shut the door, she yells again, that snake is in my bed. I said, Meredith, there is no snake in your bed. And I looked down at the end of her bed, and her bed moved. I was like, what? Maybe there is a snake in her bed. I pulled off the cover, and there our little wiener dog was sitting there licking her foot every time she'd go to sleep. (laughs) You know, you ever been in a situation, you go, what in the world? See, it's not a snake, It's it's this hot dog that we bought. You know, sometimes we don't understand, but can you imagine trying to go to sleep with frogs in your bed? Keep reading, it says, and into thy bedchamber, and upon thy bed, in the house of thy servants, and upon, and upon thy people, and into thine what? Ovens, where you're going to cook. And then it says, and into thy kneading troughs, this is where you the animals and other things drink. These frogs were everywhere. And remember, the Egyptians could not kill them. They were, um, th- they were a god of fertility. So they could not kill them because they thought they would not, never have children at that point. So here they're walking and they're everywhere. They're under their feet. They're everywhere. This gets actually Pharaoh's attention quicker than the blood does. Because remember, how many days did it say the blood was there? Seven days. You know how long it took for Pharaoh to go on this? One. He said, listen, these frogs. We've got to do something about These frogs. They're in there, and and keep reading in verse number 8. It says, Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that, that, that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go, that they may do sacrifice unto the Lord. And Moses said unto Pharaoh, Glory over me. When shall I entreat for thee and for thy servants and for thy people to destroy the frogs from thee and thy houses, that they remain in the river only? He's going to send all those frogs back. And he said, tomorrow, and he said, be be it according to thy word that thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord our God. I don't know about you, but when you just think about how powerful God is, he can send the frogs to them and then send the frogs away from them. Our God's the only God that can do this. Now, you've got to also understand that the magicians duplicated this also. They brought frogs out. And again, if I was Pharaoh, I'd say, please stop duplicating what these guys are doing. If you're going to do anything, send the frogs back. Now, I want you to get this. I want you to understand where Satan is with all this. They couldn't kill the frogs because of what they believed. But here's where all these frogs were, and here God's got it all covered again. They were in the house, the bedchambers, the bed, the house of the servants. Upon the people, the ovens, the kneading troughs, they were on thee, they were on the people, and on the servants. So the magicians duplicated all this, and the second plague was over. But the problem lies is a comparison of, of, of Exodus chapter 8 and verse 1 and Exodus chapter 8 verse 8. Look at what's said, and you've got to read this. Read into this. It says, in verse number 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, going to Pharaoh, and saying to him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may... What's the next word? Serve me. And then Pharaoh comes in. He tries to set up his own rules. Look what he says in verse 8. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, entreat the people that they may take away the frogs from me. He's in a desperate situation. And from my people, and I will let the people go, that they may do sacrifice unto the Lord. There's a big difference between doing a servant, serving him, and sacrificing. You know what Pharaoh is trying to do? You can go out, but you have to come back. He needed these people. He was scared of these people. I will let my, people go, let my people go that they may serve me. I will let thy people go that they may do sacrifices to the Lord. I'm going to give you four things real quick about Satan. That you've got to understand about Satan. And hopefully you already know this. And hopefully you understand it. But you need to apply it. Number one, Satan wants to make up the rules. He knows what the rules are, but he wants to change the rules. He wants to change the rules. And can I say this? When I say Satan, I'm talking about the world also. From from 8.1 to 8.8, he changes it from serving the Lord to sacrificing. Serving the Lord is staying out there and leaving. Sacrifice is sacrifice and then come back. Satan always wants to make the rules up. You know that? Satan wants to make the rules up in your life. What does he do? Well, for young people, he says this, everybody else is doing it. You might as well do it. I never understood that analogy because my parents would always say this. If your friend jumped off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge? First of all, my friends aren't going to jump off a bridge. Secondly, if they did jump off a bridge, I'd call 911 and then I'd go back home, amen? I'm not going to do everything my friends do, but you know what? We do imitate what other people do. Where are we getting that from? It's a humanistic view that people, men know more than God do. Men, man men know, man knows exactly what to do. No, we don't. We tried to do that in, in, in biblical times. Remember when the Ark of the Covenant was on the, on the cart and they were carrying it? What happens to it? About falls off. What does the one guy do? He grabs it and pushes it back. Was that a bad gesture? No. It was not a bad gesture. But it was not how God wanted him to handle it. The problem lies is because man set the rule of how to carry that cart, and God already had some rules, and they weren't abiding by those rules. And it cost a man his life. Satan always tries to change the rules. Man, don't you just love that Satan? He just knows exactly what's, what's your weakness. He knows what my weakness is. He knows what the world is thinking, and he's playing on that. Satan wants to make up the rules. And then number two, Satan never fights fair. Satan never fights fair. I remember my dad brought some boxing gloves home one day. And my sister, my older sister, three, three years older than me, I was probably... I was probably in ninth, eighth grade or seventh grade. I was stronger than her at that point, but um, all of her friends were egging her on and she was egging me on. She said, put those gloves on. I want to fight you. I was like, I don't want to fight you. I want to fight you. And my dad kind of egged her on, so she put the boxing gloves on. And, um, and I remember her saying, okay, fight. And I had never put on boxing gloves and she hit me a couple times. I let her hit me and then I hit her a couple times, times. And, and finally I had enough of this. I said, I'm not going to do this anymore. She said, you're going to fight me. And she said some mean things to me like every sister does. And so at the last minute, she was, she was looking at me, and she didn't see me, and I roundhoused her with a right, right hook. I mean, I hit her solid. And she went flying, landed on the ground. Can I tell you how fast she took her gloves off? Mock second, mock, she was in Mach 3, pulled those gloves off, and started chasing me down the street, and every one of her friends wanted to kill me also. And I'm running down the street, it seems like all I'm doing is running in this sermon, but I was running down the street, I was like, please, I didn't mean to fight you, I didn't want to fight you. And I went back, got in the house, and locked the door again. Praise God for that door, amen? You know, we're sitting there going, we ne- you never fight fair. She said, that's not a fair, fair punch. I said, dad, was that a fair punch? She said, yeah, it was a fair punch. But you usually don't hit like that. Satan never plays Fair. I was at a Cracker Barrel one time with my daughter, and we were playing check, checkers, and, I, and I, I've shared this with you, but I remember she was too young to understand the rules. We just put the checkers down, we started playing, and to my demise, an older man gentleman walked up and stood and watched us play. Well, the first couple times, she played the game the right way. She put things down, I put the things down, and he, I think he was amazed that she knew the rules. Little did he know it was just luck that she was picking the right spots. So the next time she had seen someone do it, she puts her thing up there, and then she takes three of my checker pieces and then puts them over. And instead of me saying, no, that's not how you play, I moved one of mine, and I took three of hers. And now this guy is like, what is going on? Not only does your little child not know how to play, but you don't know how to play. And so I start, we started doing this, and, and it took about four moves, and she goes, I won. I said, congratulations, shook her hand, we walked away. And that guy was just like, he went back, and I'm sure he had a conversation. There are some weird people from Indiana. Satan never plays by the rules. You know how we know that? Numerous things in the Bible. You know one I always go back to? David. What did Satan, what did Goliath say? Here a man tempted the whole country of Israel and all the mighty men of Israel. He made this statement. He said, listen, if you, you wipe me out or you kill me, we'll serve you. But if you kill me, I, I kill you, you guys will serve me. The problem was that Goliath never thought of that he didn't think anybody could beat him. So no one really cared about the rules because he was going to win. And so what happens, David? We all know the story. David shows up. He's going to give some food to his brothers. He sees the giant and says, is there not a cause? And he goes out there and he gets a rock and he throws the rock, kills the giant and slays him. And then all of a sudden the Philistines lay down their weapons and say, okay, we will serve you. That's not what happened. What happened? The Israelites had to chase them, had to fight them because they had changed the rules after they were already established. That's exactly what Satan does. He wants to change the rules and he never fights fair. How many of you know somebody that has just went through the mill and you just don't see how God could be in it but God knows exactly what he's talking about. Look at this real quick. Go go to verse number um, uh, 14. In verses 8 through 14, Moses thinks he's in charge. Here here he goes in, and and Pharaoh has changed the rules in verse number 18. And then Moses in verse number 18, 8, in verse 9 says this, And Moses said unto Pharaoh, Glory over me. When shall I entreat for thee and thy servants and for thy people to destroy the frogs unto thee and thy house, that they may remain in the river only? And he said, Tomorrow. And he said, Be it according to thy word, that thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord our God. Now Moses is thinking that he's done really good with this. And the frogs shall depart from thee and from thy houses and from thy servants and from thy people, that they shall remain in the river only. Verse number 12, And Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord because of the frogs which he had brought into Pharaoh. And the, and, and the Lord had, according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out of the houses, out of the villages, and out of the fields. And they gathered them together upon heaps, and the land stank. Here we've got another smell coming up. We've got the fish, we got the frogs. But the problem lies with the next verse. Because everything that Pharaoh said, he changes the rules again. But when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Here we go. Satan wants to make up the rules. Satan never fights fair. And number three, Satan wants wants us to believe that he is in control. How many of you, if you were to take a, a poll in America and said, who's in charge, God or Satan? I wonder what people would really say. Seems like there's a lot of bad things going on. That's not God. That's Satan. In verse number 15, as we study it, Pharaoh decides that he's still in control. Look at verse number 8. Go back to number 8, and I want to to show you one key word in verse number 8. It says, Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people. Here's Pharaoh talking to him. Now I want you to see one word. I'm going to stop. I want you to read the next word. Look what it says. Let's read verse number 8. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, "Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and what? I. Pharaoh thinks he's in control. Look at that word. And I will let the people go, that they may do sacrifice in the Lord. Pharaoh wasn't in charge. God could have wiped all of them out and did it a different way. Do you see that point? So often in our lives we think, man, God's not in control. He is in control. Satan wants you to believe that he's in control, but he's not. At any given point, God could have said, just get out of here. Does he not do that in other aspects of the Bible? Absolutely he does. He does it with Noah. We're going to build, you're going to build this, this boat. We're going to put you in it, and I'm in control, and no one else is going to get out of it. I mean, he does it time and time again. But so often we see so many bad things, we think, man, Satan's in control. You can get discouraged real easy, can't you? I can't watch much of the news anymore. I watch the news and I get so mad. And I'm the kind of person now that's talking at my screen. I've become an older person. I start talking at the screen like it's going to change anything. But, you know, here he says, listen, I will let you go because basically I'm in charge of you. Who brought the Israelites into Egypt? We've already studied this. Who brought them in? Joseph did. God brought them through Joseph. So they were there by God, and they can get out by God. But all of a sudden, Pharaoh comes in, and Satan wants us, and the world wants us to believe that they are in control. Let me tell you something, Christian. He is not in control. There is nothing that Satan can do that he has to ask God if he can do it. We see it in the story of Job. I'm going to show you one more story and we'll be done. Go to the last one and I want you to see this. Number one, Satan wants to make up the rules. Number two, Satan never fights fair. Never. Changes the rules. Number three, Satan wants us to believe that he is in control. But let me tell you this, God is not finished. God was not finished with the plan. He's not finished with your life. You say, well, I'm such and such. I'm this old. I don't know if I can do anything. God is not finished with your life. Look at the next verse. You know, after all these things in verse number 15, he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. You know, I like verse 16. I can almost see him walking up to Moses, and God put his arm around Moses, and look what he says. He says, And the Lord said unto Moses. (laughs) He's just encouraging Moses again. Hey, I know he said he was going to do this. He didn't do it. It's going to be okay. Let's go through those rules one more time. He did not say in verse number 16. Let's read verse 16. And then I'm going to say what sometimes we would do. Let's read verse 16 aloud. So I know you're with me. Go to verse number 16. Here's what the Lord says. Let's read it together. And the Lord said unto... Okay, let's start over again. All together. And the Lord said unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch out thy rod, and smite the dust off the land, that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. You know what it doesn't say? It does not read this way. Let me read like sometimes we would would look at it and say, And the Lord said unto Moses, What just happened? I mean, he said he was going to do it. And then he didn't do it. Moses, I don't know what we're going to do. Moses, need to understand. You need to understand something, Moses. God had a plan. He's going to execute it. I want you to turn over to one story and we'll be done. I want you to turn to Exodus. I mean, Judges chapter 16. Judges chapter 16. I love this story. Judges chapter 16. I'm going to give you my personal opinion about Samson. Everybody knows who Samson is? What do we think of when we see Samson? You probably think he's got my physique and he's pretty strong, and right? I don't think Samson. I think Samson probably did look like me. They couldn't figure out where his strength was, Amen. Like, how in the world are you so, okay, let me tell you this. If Arnold Schwarzenegger walked in and you said, where's your strength at? You would know it, right? I mean, this guy, they couldn't figure out where his strength was. His strength was in his what? Hair. Wow. Let's read this story. And then we're going to read the rules. The four four points, I want you to see this. Go to verse number 21. It says, And the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass and did grind in the prison house, howbeit the, the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. And the Lord of the Philistines gathered them together for to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, little G, and to rejoice, for they said, Our God hath delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, little G, for they said, Our God, little G, hath delivered into our hands our enemy and the destroyer of our country, which slew many of us. And it came to pass when their hearts were merry that they said, Call for Samson, that he may make us sport. And they called for Samson out of the prison of the house, and he made them sport, and they set him between the pillars. Now let's set this up real quick and understand what Samson was. Samson met a girl. Samson met the wrong girl. He also did a few things bad. In in one case, he does what? He eats honey. There's nothing wrong with eating honey, but he was told not to touch a dead carcass, and the honey was in a lion's carcass, so he touches the the lion, which he's not supposed to. It's unclean to him. And so he eats the honey, and then he meets this girl. This girl bats her eyes at him, and and she says, how are you getting your strength? Now, I want to tell you something. People say he was the strongest man. Sometimes I think he's the dumbest man in the Bible. She bats her eyes at him. He tells her one thing, and lo and behold, can you believe it? She wakes up the next. He wakes up the next morning, and it's done. He, they don't think he's got strength. The Philistines come. Up, the Philistines are upon him. He jumps up and kills them all. That didn't work. So Delilah jumps up again and starts batting her eyes. Oh, I could just hear. Do you love me? Do you love me? Please let me know that you love me. And all of a sudden. She, he kind of loses his thought process with this, and the girls will do that to guys, We all know that. And so he sits there and he tells her another thing. Lo and behold, he wakes up the next morning and everything that he said to her is happening. Those see are among these. he jumps up and he slays them all again. Now she's going to see how serious it is. Now she still starts putting on everything. You love me? You said you loved me, but you lied to me two times. And, I, and I'm thinking if I was the same so i go, you yeah, know, really? Yeah, I lied to you, but every time I woke up, everything I was saying, you did to me. And out of the stupidity of this man, he says, it's my hair. Lo and behold, now I don't know, understand this, but this, must, this guy must have been a heavy sleeper. You try to cut my hair at night, ain't going to happen. Let alone, you think about it, how long was his hair? It wasn't like clip, clip, all right? All right? Some of us in here, if someone shaved your hair, it wouldn't take that long, okay? Others, it might take forever, amen? Cuts his hair off. He wakes up. The Philistines are among the, he doesn't know that he doesn't have a strength. And they catch it. Now we catch the story. You want to talk about some wicked men? They gouge his eyes out. Sometimes we read that and go, wow. There's a lot of people that I somewhat don't like, but I never wish that upon them. Can you imagine what that must have been like? I'm not even going to go through what would would have happened. But then they throw him in prison. Then they have a banquet we're talking about, and they bring this banquet, and they bring him in there. Can I say this to you? Satan wants to make up the rules. Samson knew the rules and didn't follow them. He made his own up. Watch this. Satan never fights fair. He brings this lady into his life and changes everything. Satan wants us to believe that he is in control. They've already done all these things to Samson. He's in jail, and look at what's happening here. Let's look at this, and we're done. Go to verse number 28. Samson said unto the lad that held him by the hand, Suffer me, that I may feel the pillars whereupon the house standeth, that I may lean upon them. He somehow takes Samson and puts him in the middle of the room, and there's these giant pillars. I don't know how close they are, but they're arm lengths away. He said, I just need to know where I'm at so I can get my feel of where I'm at. Now the house is full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there, and there were upon the roof about 3,000 men and women. And behold, while Samson made sport, they were making fun of him. Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once. O oh God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. It shows you what was important to him, it was his eyes. Samson took hold of the two, two middle pillars upon which the house stood and on which it was borne up, to, of the one with his right hand and the other his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might, and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people that were therein, so that the dead which, which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. See, the problem with Samson, God was not finished yet. All three of these sometimes we see, Satan wants to make up the rules. Satan never fights fair. Satan wants you to believe that he's in control. But let me tell you something, God isn't finished. God is in control. He knows what's going to happen. When Pharaoh said, listen, if you get them out, we'll let you serve, that didn't come as a shock to God that he did that. God knew what he would do. God is in control. He never went the next day and said, Moses, I don't know what happened. We're going to try something else. God knew it would take 10 times for Pharaoh to go back. I don't know about you, but about the 8th or ninth time, I'd say, Lord, I I just don't know if it's going to work. But God is in control. How many of you believe that God was in control in this story, in Samson? I do. He knew exactly what was going to happen. How many of you believe that God was in control of Moses' life? None of us in here have gone through what those two men have. And if God is in control of their situation, He's in control of your situation and my situation. We might not understand it, but He's in control. And for that, that's my thankfulness for for the month of, of November. I am so thankful that God is in control.